0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So as I mentioned last week, we took a break over the Christmas season from 1 Timothy, and we've jumped back into the text. Let us remember that Paul is writing a letter to his protege, to Timothy, who resides in Ephesus. Paul has sent him there because the church that Paul planted is in trouble. There are problems within the life of the church, and scholars believe that it's due to false teaching. Now, there's some disagreement as regarding exactly what that false teaching is, but we know that it has caused division. It has caused problems within the life of the church. So He is writing this letter to Timothy as a young pastor, instructing him what he should do in this challenging situation. But we also know that this is a letter that is to be read to the entire church, that it has a public nature to it as well. So there are three things I want us to look at this morning as we consider chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Number one, our king is alive. Number two, we are a royal family. And number three, he is the king of glory. Our king is alive, we are a royal family, and he is the king of glory. A couple days ago, Vicki and I finally watched the Elvis movie that came out recently, and Austin Butler, who plays Elvis, won the um, Golden Globe for his unbelievable portrayal of this Memphis rock legend and there was one thing that stood out to me towards the end of the movie Elvis is performing in Las Vegas and I have to admit I'm not an Elvis aficionado so I had always wondered where this came from and it's when the public address announcer would say after his performance because people were going crazy for Elvis his fans and he would say Elvis has left the building. And I'd always wondered why that was important and why that was said. He is no longer here. He is not present. My, when I was in seminary, Vicki was a pharmaceutical rep. And one of the things that she would often do is she would host the dinners and she would invite a keynote speaker, a doctor, who was considered an expert in his field, and doctors and nurses would gather over a nice meal to hear him speak. And one evening, I really wanted to go to the restaurant, and I was willing to endure this lecture on allergy medicine in order to get the steak. And so I happened to sit across from this, this gentleman, and we struck up a conversation, and one thing led to another, and he told me, that he was on call in Memphis the night that Elvis died and came to the hospital, that he was in residency. And he said, in fact, I was the first doctor to see him. And I asked the question that you would ask Because I had been seeing the National Enquirer my entire childhood saying that Elvis was in South America, that he was in Europe, that he was in the Andes Mountains, that he was alive. And I asked the doctor, and he said, oh, without question and without a doubt, he was dead. I saw him. And I thought about the text this morning, Elvis being the king. Announcing that Elvis has left the building. But the reality is, when I went to visit Sun Records, when I went to visit Graceland, which I, I assume you have to do when you move to Memphis, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. I did not get to meet him nor hear him sing at Sun Records. I did not get to hang out with him in the jungle room because the king is dead. He has left the building. And we come to our text this morning, and Paul is saying the complete opposite about our king. In fact, he says that he is the living God. Notice, he mentions this three times. Verse 15, the church of the living God. Verse 16, his son... Vindicated by the Spirit. This means the work of the Holy Spirit in resurrecting Jesus from the dead, which signifies that he has accomplished our salvation and he has perfectly obeyed the will of God. He is not dead. The King is alive, he has been resurrected. And then we notice in the last part of verse 16, taken up in glory that not only is Jesus the resurrected king, not only is he alive, but he is in the building. He is in the throne room of grace. He is sitting upon that throne. He is ruling over all of creation. So Paul is very adamant in chapter 3 that our God is alive. Now it's always important to understand the context of the passages in which you read. Why is this significant? Because wherever this small church plant was meeting in Ephesus, there is no doubt that they are in the shadows of the temple of Artemis. Which was considered one of the seven wonders of the world at that time. In fact, it had over a hundred columns just supporting the roof of this temple. So don't you know that Paul, as he's writing this, has that temple in mind? This God is dead. This God does nothing. This God is fake. This God cannot accomplish anything. Your God is alive. We've just come through the Christmas season. And we hear the word Emmanuel over and over again in songs, Christmas cards, Christmas signs, meaning God is with us. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to his audience then. It is what Paul is trying to communicate to his audience now. God is with us. Because of the love of the Father, the resurrection of His Son, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, God is with you. God is with you. You draw near to Him in worship, Matthew 18, 20 says. That when you come to this place, He is here. He is present. Yes, we cannot fully understand that. But God is telling us through His Word that when you gather together in my name for worship, I am here. He speaks to us through His Word, Hebrews 4.12. When we come to this place to worship God, He is present, but He is also, through His Word, speaking to us. That is why I often pray for the Lord to set me aside and to speak. Because I'm a broken, frail, sinful, fragile human. But here's what's unique and unbelievable and incredible and powerful about the Word of God is that the Holy Spirit can use it despite me in order to accomplish great things in your soul. The illumination of the Holy Spirit to use the theological term. There is power. I am not simply standing up here and reading to you sections from the newest John Grisham book. I am not reading to you Shakespeare. This is your God who is present speaking to you. Think about that. I wish I would better understood this as a child. Because I simply viewed church as showing up, hearing something, and hoping to be a better person. And that's not it. It's a relationship where we engage Him, but more importantly, He engages us, and He overwhelms us with His love and His mercy and His grace and His Word and His Spirit. Not only does he draw near to us in worship, not only does he speak to us through his word, he hears us when we pray. He hears us when we pray. Proverbs 15, 29. And then I love this, Isaiah 41, 10. He upholds us with his righteous hand. He upholds us with his righteous hand. He's alive. He is living. He is the one true God. And that knowledge, that fact, means everything to us as His people. That we do not have a dead deity, an uncaring deity, a far off God. That He is up close and He is personal. And so we find great hope in that. He is here, and He is here for me. And that is my hope. He is in this place. He is in my heart. He speaks to me. He hears me. That is my joy. As we travel through this difficult world that has many lows and many difficult terrains that we have to navigate just the challenges of this life, because we live in a sinful world, know that He is with you. That He is holding you. And that should bring you peace. Our living God. So not only is He alive, not only is He a living King, we are also a royal family. We belong to the king. We are his children. And that is beautiful. I have to admit, I'm a bit of an Anglophile. And if free time permits, I love to study the history of England and in particular, the founding of our country and just the long and involved history of that nation. But even, even traveling there, I still, as an American who elects a president, I still have a hard time grasping and understanding the monarchy. That when I'm over there, it seems foolish to me that they are given any credibility, that they are given any authority, that they are given any power and recognition because they're just born that way. It really goes against everything in our, that our country stands for, where someone can rise from the very bottom to the top. I really have a hard time understanding it. I do. And the book that came out this week, Harry's New Work, do you realize that already it is the greatest selling nonfiction book in the history of the world? Think about that. And all it is is what? Gossip. That's all it is. It's gossip about a dysfunctional, Broken family. A broken, dysfunctional, royal family. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy who's in Ephesus in this church plant and they have division, they have problems, they have issues, they are a royal family. Right? I mean, if you study the history of the monarchy in England, there's very little tranquility, there's very little that speaks to a beautiful, connected, spiritually healthy family. Power corrupts, power corrupts absolutely. And so Paul is telling them that if... Jesus is king, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, if he is the son of the living God, and we belong to him, that because of our union with him, because we belong to to the family of God, that the household of God should look different than the world. That we shouldn't look like a dysfunctional, broken family, that we should look like brothers and sisters who are united to Jesus Christ who is holy and perfect in all His ways. Now, again, caveat. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. We still struggle with sin. We still need to come to this place as God's family, as God's people and to confess our sins. We are not perfect we are being made perfect Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us he's drawing us closer to himself it's one of the reasons that I often pray in worship Lord when we leave this place help us to look more like Jesus And so Paul is telling this young church plant that he's planted, that one ought to behave in the household of God. You should resemble Jesus, your older brother, who has made you a royal son and daughter of the king. And so what does it look like to resemble him? What does it look like to resemble him? I have two younger brothers. One is seven years younger than me, one is ten years younger than me. One lives in Tuscaloosa, the other one lives in Savannah, Georgia. The one that lives in Tuscaloosa, we don't look alike, but we sound alike. In fact, if I call his wife on the phone and she doesn't look at the phone number, she sometimes thinks that I am him. When I was in their house one time, a neighbor was upstairs helping my sister-in-law and I started talking to the neighbor from downstairs and she had no clue that it was me and not my brother. And so our relationship with Jesus, our ingrafting into him, we should sound like him. Who is Jesus? He is loving, forgiving, gracious, humble, caring, selfless, peaceful, patient, generous, obedient, and prayerful. Our families should reflect the name that we have been given. Those attributes should be said of us. Those attributes should be said of Trinity. Yes, this is a place where broken, sinful people can gather, where they become a church family in Christ, and where the Holy Spirit works in them to resemble Him, so that more and more we are like our Savior, so that more and more people, when they hear us speak, they hear Him. That we are loving and generous and obedient and kind and prayerful. That we are all of these, these things. And that can be challenging as a church. It can be. And so like Jesus, we should be constantly in prayer, praying for our church family. Praying for one another. How often do you pray for each other? Lord, help us to be a church family that is not full of division. Help us to be a church family that's united. Help us to be a church family that's guided by the work of the Holy Spirit. Help us to not be hypocrites. Help us to be a place where people can come and hear the Word of God and enter into the presence of a living King and know that they are forgiven, that He is gracious and kind, that they are accepted, And that they can learn what it means to be holy as Jesus is holy. We should be praying for this. We should be praying for one another. We should be praying that the Holy Spirit would guide us to be more like the royal son of the living king. And then thirdly, not only is our God alive, not only are we royal children but He is the King of glory. Paul reminds us of this in verse 16 where he says that He has been taken up in glory. That Jesus entered into heaven and that all of creation will one day worship Him and fall down at His feet and recognize His reign and His rule and His perfection that Jesus in heaven is now being glorified by the angels because of who He is and what He has done for His people and giving His life for us. So we see in verse 16 one of the earliest confessions of the church. Paul says we confess this mystery of godliness. That doesn't mean that the gospel can't be understood. That means that it once was mysterious how God was going to save His people throughout the world and now it has been revealed through the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this is a very short confession But Paul is telling us in verse 15 that the church is a pillar and a buttress of the truth. In other words, the church guards and protects and upholds the truth of this confession. That is the responsibility of the church to proclaim the truth of God's word, to not shy away from it. Regardless of what the world may think about what it is that we proclaim. And I will tell you that in our country, and I I really don't want to overstate this, I don't want to sound alarmed, I want to be accurate and fair that in our country today, in our nation today, that society is attacking and is upset. With the truth of God's word, less or so the church. We do not face the persecution that churches face around the world in other countries. But, I think it is becoming increasingly clear that the truth that we uphold, the truth that we believe, is considered foolish and is being attacked. And so what Paul is telling us is hold tightly to that confession of truth. The world is going to mock you because the world doesn't have eyes to see. The world has not been transformed by the grace and the mercy of a risen Savior. In fact, don't be surprised, but hold on to it. Proclaim this truth. Preach it faithfully. Protect it within the confines of the leadership of your church. Paul's already spoken about this earlier in the chapter. Protect it within the confines of your denomination. Proclaim the truth faithfully. Live the truth as God's people. As His royal children go out into the world and show the world that you belong to the One who is... Obedient and gracious and kind and patient and humble and gentle and caring. Live the truth, proclaim the truth, and then confess the truth. Gather together as a church family and say, This is what we believe, this is what is important to us. We do this within my family as we share stories over and over again. This is what unites us. This is what we believe as a family. This is what is important to us. Whenever we get together, we share these stories. We tell them. We want others to know this is who we are, the Brewer family. And so, I want us to do something a little bit different to close the service today. I want us to confess the truth together. Normally we do that through the Apostles' Creed, but this is one of the earliest creeds of the church. So I want you to say this with me. This is from verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Join with me when it begins, He was manifested in the flesh. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can confess the truth of Your Word. Lord, help us to proclaim it Help us to live it. Help us to confess it. Remind us of who we are in Your Son, Jesus, that we belong to Your family. And Father, may we never forget that You are a living God who rules over heaven and earth. Father, help us to understand what it means when we gather into Your presence and hear You speak. Speak to us now.